we've been talking about prayer over the past couple of weeks, and, uh, and I think there's a couple of things that we can take from our time so far that we've talked about. One of those things has been, if you were to sort of bring it down and synopsize it, is, is that prayer is very important, a very important part of, of our spiritual growth. Um, it's not just talking to God, but prayer is a time that we listen to God. And that if you desire to grow spiritually, um, if you desire to grow in your relationship with the Lord, spending time in prayer isn't just talking to God, but it's listening and saying, okay, God, based on who you are, what is it you desire from me, and how do I realign my life? The second thing is that prayer isn't just God give me something, it's do something within me. Um, we've been talking and we walked through, we've looked at several different prayers that Jesus prayed, but today is an incredible thing. We're going to go to John chapter 17, if you'd like to turn there. We're going to focus today on a prayer that Jesus prayed for us 2,000 years ago. And this is so appropriate because when Jesus prayed, he looked at the greatest threat that we would have as believers in the days ahead, and he prayed for us 2,000 years ago. Now, I want you to understand in context where this falls because um, it can be hard to understand where this falls in, in line of, of uh, events that, that are taking place. But Jesus is talking to the disciples right after, um, right after the time in the, in, the, in the upper room. And so they've celebrated the Passover. Um, and then Jesus begins to teach. And he he talks to him and is talking to him about the fact that he's going to eventually leave them. He's reminding them again, guys, I'm not always going to be around. And this is where you hear the passage of Scripture that talks about trusting God, trust also in me, for in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I, um, I wouldn't have told you, but I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. He, so he starts talking, preparing them for heaven. He talks to them about the coming of the Holy Spirit, that he's not going to leave them alone, but the Holy Spirit will be there. But in chapter 7, 17 he prays a prayer and in that in that prayer he not only prays for himself he prays for the disciples but he also prays for those of us that will come to know Jesus in the days ahead and it's very interesting what Jesus prays because what he prays for us is so applicable to us today Maria so applicable um, and of all the things that Jesus could have prayed about he prayed about this one thing because he knew this one thing would be the thing that could completely destroy and take away our opportunity of influence as, as believers. And so what I want to do is, is I, want to, I, want to read to this, I want to read this to you. And if you're, if you're not used to reading God's Word, I want to encourage you to read God's Word on a regular basis because God speaks to us through his word. And the book of John in the New Testament is a great book to start out with. As a matter of fact, chapter 17 is a great place to even start, even today. And we're not going to read all of this. We're just going to read a few verses here and there. Um, but chapter 17 sort of gives you the heart of Jesus and what Jesus valued. And this is what I want you to know. Jesus values us. And it's very important to remember that. He values us. So let's read, if we can, uh, John chapter 17, verse 11. And if you don't have your Bible, we'll have it up on the screen for you. But, um, but anyway, here's, here's, what, here's what the Scripture says as Jesus prayed. He says, Now I'm departing from the world, and they are staying in this world, but I'm coming to you. He's talking about 
the disciples. And, and this is such an important time because Jesus knows here within just a little bit that he knows what he's going to face. He knows that his time is limited because after he leaves this place of where he's at, he knows what happened is they'll make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will be betrayed and he eventually be, will be arrested and he'll be crucified for our sins. And so Jesus is, is saying, listen, my, my time is limited. And he says, Father, I'm getting ready to leave. I'm coming to see you. And I'm leaving some dear people behind, some people that I love. And up until this time, Jesus had been there. He had walked with them. He had talked with them. Uh, he had taught them. He had encouraged them. He had held them accountable. Um, he was their protector. But here Jesus is saying, I'm getting ready to leave. And Father, I want you to know that I'm concerned because I know what they're going to face. I know what they're going to face. Let me ask you, how many of you are dropping your kids off for the first time this year to school? Anybody have, we have any first time, we have some first time parents that are dropping your kids off. That's a terrifying time, isn't it? Because you're wondering what's going to happen, you know, is everything going to be okay? How many of you dropped a, a kid off at college this year for the first time? Or you've done that? You ever been in that situation where you've dropped a kid off at college and you're like going, are they going to be okay? And you know, is, is, you know is, are they going to be protected? There's a fear that sort of comes along when we, when we allow that to happen and we allow that to take place. And, and just, as, just as we have those, those tensions sometimes of, of when, we're, when we're disconnecting ourselves and we're, we're letting them sort of step out on their own, here's Jesus saying, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. And he goes on to say, Holy Father, you've given me your name. Now protect them. That's a good word to underline. Protect them by the power of your name. In the Old Testament, the people of God were known by the name of God, but in the New Testament, the people became identified with Jesus. They were baptized in the name of Jesus, and they were known followers of the way or known as Christians. And there is power in the name of Jesus. Jeremiah 10.6 says this, Lord, there's none like you, for you are great, and your name is full of power, supernatural power. And then I want you to underline, uh, there's, there's two words there. It would either be in your scriptures probably, so then or so that. And that is a, a Greek phrase, uh, two words, that it's, it's what they call a henna clause. It means like there's something really important that's, that's fixing to happen. In other words, this over here is going on so that, and then there's a really important phrase that's going to that's gonna take place after that. And so remember, he says so that, and here comes the important thing. This is the whole reason of what he's, what he's talking about. So that they will be united just as we are. That's really important. Here's Jesus praying for the disciples, and he, he's praying, all right, that they would be one so that they would be united just as Jesus and the Father are. And I wonder why in the world that Jesus would be praying that they would be united as disciples. Because he, he knew their weaknesses, and he knew the things that they struggled with. He knew their personalities. He knew that somebody would get their feelings hurt. He knew that somebody would get their toes stepped on. He knew that somebody would, wouldn't get what they wanted, and they would go whining over here in the corner. Jesus knew that somebody might feel like somebody had taken advantage of them. Or they might feel like somebody was talking about them. You ever felt that way? And so Jesus prayed for them, and he prayed for unity, that they would be united just as Jesus and the Father. He knew that conflicts and, 
that there was the potential for conflicts that they would arise because of the differing ages, the differing opinions, the differing likes and dislikes. Sort of sounds like us today, doesn't it? Sort of sounds like the makeup of the church. There's opportunities all over the place for there to be disagreements or arguments. See, up until that time, Jesus had been there to handle the argument about who sits on the right and who sits on the left and what, which one of the commandments was the most important. Up until that time, Jesus had been there, but all of a sudden, he's getting ready to leave, and he's saying, Father, I want to pray for them, that they, they would be united just as you and I are united. And this is, the, this is a big thing, because he knew the greatest threat to their unity was me. Troy, the greatest, the, the greatest opportunity for conflict that would destroy unity would be not, not we-ness, but me-ness. That I, me, my, not you, but me, that I have the opportunity to destroy unity. And Jesus prayed for them. 2,000 years ago, he prayed that for them. If you go back and you look at the scripture several times, the body of Christ, um, the, the church itself is, is sort of given this, this picture of a body of Christ made up of many parts functioning and flowing together. Um, and here's Jesus looking at his disciples, knowing everything about them, knowing their weaknesses, looking into the future, and he said, Father, help them. Help them. Because they're going to struggle. Because I'm not going to be there to settle all their disagreements. I'm not going to be there to settle all the disputes. And so, Father, I'm praying that they will be united just as we are united. And look at verse, look at verse 20. Because he just didn't pray this for the disciples. Skip down to verse 20. It says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but, all, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their Message. So Jesus isn't, just didn't pray that for the disciples, but he knew the exact same thing would happen in the lives of those that would follow up, those that would come and want to follow Jesus in the days ahead. He knew that the same tensions would be there, the same opportunities for conflict. So Jesus not only was praying for the disciples, but he also prayed for us. And then look at what it says there in verse 21. I pray that they, the believers, will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. Unity. That they, and they may be one in us. Jesus not only was praying for his disciples to be unified, but he also was praying for the followers in the days ahead because he knew the opportunity, the threat to the gospel. Now, I know none of you have ever experienced difficulty inside the body of Christ, have you? None of you have ever gotten your toes stepped on. None of you have ever left a group of people and went to another group of people because they just didn't meet up to your expectations. Because you got your feelings hurt, you went someplace else. But here Jesus is praying and he was praying because he knew that unity, that it, in the lack of unity, that in our unity, that it would be, God would be able to, to use us, that in our unity, as we worked together, as the body of Christ flowed, as we, as we lived and as we shared life together, it would be within that relationship that others would see God at work. See, see Gail, when you're at school, 
It's God at work. It's God at work. See, Troy, when you're at work, it's, it's God at work. Bill, when you're at work, it's God at work. Doug, when you're at work, it's God at work. Wherever you are, it's God at work. And when we're working and we're living as God intended us to live, it's a testimony of the greatness of God. And if I'm a betting man, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been affected by the life of a professing believer in a negative way? Somebody that claimed to be a Christ follower, yet their life didn't, didn't represent Christ. Have you ever been affected? Do you know anybody outside the church whose life has been impacted because of the negative influences? Caleb and I were having this conference today. You ever had kids that get in disagreements with one another? Y'all don't have that in your house, do you? You ever got in a conflict with your spouse? I know you don't do that. But think about that. It's within the disunity that we experience because of the meanness that ends up being a bad representation for Christ and his greatness. We don't realize that. That it's not just about, you know, it's not just about the attendance and it's not about giving and it's not about small group. It's not about all those different things that a lot of times we want to put a, a mark and we want to check it off. But it's in how we live on a daily basis, Mike. How we, live, how we live life in unison with one another. And I'm not saying always agreeing, but you can disagree and still love one another. And as Caleb and I were talking, I said, you know, listen, son, when you guys fight, it's a bad testimony. He said, do you know that when you and mom fight, it's a bad testimony? I'm just... I'm just, just. How many of us as professing believers, though, have bitterness and anger just, just down inside of us? I love Jesus. Yes, I do. But I sure don't like you. <laughs> and it shows. It doesn't take long for you to recognize. You, you, you can see it. You can see it. You know, we're trying so hard sometimes to convince other people that Jesus changes lives. But in reality... Where's the change in ours? Where's the change? And here it is. Here it is. Even though we have our individuality, Jesus said, I want your oneness to take precedence over your individualness. I want, I want your oneness to shine. Oneness to shine. And look at what it says, and it goes on to say here, in the earlier, it was so that so that you may be united. And look at what he says now, so that, and here's that henna clause, this is really important, so that the world will believe that you sent me. Oneness. That our oneness in Christ, our oneness as believers, that it places us up on the stage of life. And in the midst of being on that stage, others see they see our lives, and they see how we're acting, and they see how we treat other people. And in that oneness, there's an opportunity for others to come to know Jesus. In that oneness, it's where people have an opportunity to be led towards Christ. And, and, and the oneness and unity, it's, it's not about doctrine. It's not about denomination. It's not about a practice. It's not about ministry. None of those things would be what would have the greatest impact. But here's Jesus praying for us 2,000 years ago, and he said it's your oneness that will have the greatest impact, and it's your oneness 
It's your oneness that will be threatened. And here's Jesus praying that for us. Look down at verse 22. He said, I've given them glory. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that, you're, that you love them as much as you love me. Genus Jesus is the unifying factor. Jesus is the rallying point. Jesus is the center of it all. Now, if football season is coming up, how many Florida State people do we have in here? How many Florida Gator people do we have in here? How many Georgia Bulldog people do we have in here? At least two of us, right, Steve? <clears throat> and you know what? It's amazing this time of the year. We'll rally around our college football team, professionals getting ready to start. Some of you have a favorite team. It might be baseball, the New York Yankees, or the Tampa, uh, Tampa Rays, or it might be the Miami, whoever it is, you know. But we'll rally around these things. We'll rally around, uh, you know, the Olympics. When the Olympics comes around, man, we'll root for people we have no clue who they are. We'll root for sports that we've never even heard of. And we'll celebrate. We'll raise a flag. You know, when 9-11 hit and the terrorist attack took place, I mean, here's people of different cultures, different races, all kinds of differences, but we rallied around a flag and the freedom that it represents. And so you take here and you say, we're, we're so willing to rally around certain things, but, but here the rallying point itself is Jesus. The rallying point, the central figure here is Jesus. And I guess the question is, what are you rallied around? I mean, is your, is your college football team more important than Jesus? Is an Olympic sport more, poor, more important than Jesus? What are you rallied around? Is it a political party? Is, or is Jesus your rallying, rallying point? Jesus knew that the greatest threat to our unity would be the tendency of me and my And so Jesus did, just didn't pray for unity for unity's sake, but he prayed because he knew what was at stake? And look at what it says there in verse 23 near the end, that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much, that you love them as much as you love me. Is the flag that you're waving something that's temporary and insignificant? Or is the flag that you're waving, is your rallying point something that's eternal? insignificant two things two things that we can do I think if if we're going to remain centered and rallying around Jesus two things and you can write these down two things number one stay focused on the mission when we started Heritage, there were three things that we said that were really important. If you've been with us anywhere along the line, there's three things that you'll hear us talk about, growing spiritually, sharing life, and serving others. We talk about that all the time because really that's our purpose. How do we leave a legacy of faith? Well, we leave a legacy of faith by growing up in our faith, by sharing life with one another, and using the gifts and talents that we have to serve one another. Those things are important. important. But our, our rallying point is not me. It's not Brian. It's not the programs that we have. It's not the people that are here. It's not any of those things. It's not a building. The rallying point behind heritage is Jesus Christ. He is the center point. There's nothing else. That's why I don't have to be the only one that speaks on a Sunday morning. 
And I love it when people say, well, you know, people always want to know, well, who's speaking at our church? I don't really think that matters. That's not the big issue. It's not who's leading worship on Sunday mornings. That's not the big issue. Our rallying point is Jesus. He is the center. And part of that, our mission is how do we grow up in our faith? How do we come to acknowledge our sin? How do we grow spiritually? How do we share life with one another as we're in and doing life? And how do we use the gifts and talents that we have to serve? That's important. That's important. There are different people that attend church for different reasons. Some because of figures. Some because of programs. Some because of buildings. Some because of reputations. But all of those things are fleeting, guys. Every one of those is fleeting. And in the moments when you think things the things that you like, they, they don't happen, all of a sudden the threat for unity becomes at its greatest point. Because I promise you, if you stay here and you're, you're a part of this family, there are going to be some things that happen that you just don't like. I might say something that hurts your feelings. I might look at you the wrong way. Brian might play off tune every once in a while. You might not, somebody might not speak to you when you walk in the door. I promise you something will happen along the way that there's a threat for unity in the body of Christ. And you just got to figure out how you're going to handle it. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to resolve that? And we'd be reminded that our rallying point isn't perfect people, but it's a perfect Savior. He's our rallying point. The second thing, not only staying focused on our mission, but we have to pay attention to the things that bother us. The things that bother us. How do you pay attention to the things that bother us? Because those things that bother you are an indication of probably what you're rallying around. Are you with me? Those things that bother you may be an indicator of what you're rallying around. What is it that I'm elevating to importance? Is unity more important than being right? Or is being right more important than unity? You've, you've been there, haven't you? You've had that conversation. You've had that argument. You've had that disagreement where, well, let me tell you. And all of a sudden, being right was more important than when we discover that something bothers us, we need to ask ourselves, why am I being bothered? Am I being bothered? Is it getting in the way of others coming to know Jesus? Or is it something that I just don't like? Or is it inconvenient? And here's the question. Is it in my way or is it in the way? Is it in the way of others coming to know Jesus? Or is it just in my way? Is it just inconvenient, Steve? What is it? If I can make that determination, man, I'll tell you how much further it is. People leave and walk away from churches all the time because they don't get their way. I had somebody tell me the other day in a story, and I'm going make to it, make it short, but, I'm gonna make it, but I want to make a point. Somebody said, well, nobody ever talks to me. And I said, ah, doggone, mercy, mercy, mercy. And I hear that, and I understand that. You know what I tell my kids all the time? You gain a whole lot more friends by being friendly than you do looking for friends. I was listening to a conversation, and I'd heard that this 
you know, somebody was ups, upset a while back, and this person got upset, and they were upset at this person, this person, this person, this person. This person didn't talk to them. This person looked the other way. They always scowled at them. This person was it. And I'm listening. I'm taking all that in. I'm listening, trying to be really sensitive. And I said, man, I can just tell that you've, you've been hurt. And in the most gracious way that I could say, I said, you know, have, have you talked to that person? No. Have you talked to that person? No. Have you talked to that person? No. I said, you know, the only problem here is you've talked to everybody else except the people, the people that need you, you need to talk to. Nobody else knows that you got your feelings hurt. Nobody knows that you got your, you know, your stuff's all up in a wad and, and they just don't know. Now, let me take you back to the Bible and show you what it says. It says that, listen, if you've got a problem, you're supposed to go to your brother. You're supposed to sit down and talk to him. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to go and discuss it, and if you can't work it out, then bring it back and take somebody with you. It wasn't about unity. It was about me and my way. And I said, bless you. Bless you. But that's a teaching time for all of us because sometimes I get my feelings hurt. And sometimes I don't want to talk to certain people. And I have to remind myself, what's it about? Is it about my way or is it about the way? What am I going to do? Is it about my way or the way? We can survive bad decisions. We can. Because those of us, the church is made up of broken people. And we'll make bad decisions from time to time. But what we can't under, overcome is we can't overcome meanness over weakness. See, because when that threat is there, that threat is, is real. And the threat here within this body, believe it or not, affects everything that goes on on the outside. And it's not just what happens here, but it, what happens in, you know, when there's issues that are taking place in other bodies of Christ within the community, you need to take notice because it has an effect on those that are unsaved. I don't care where it's at. And if you'll usually find out those that are in that situation, regardless of where they go to church, they like to gather because bitter people like to hang out with one another. It's the way it is. You'd find one person that gripes, usually you find three or four people gathered together because they just like, the, they like an ear. And so how, how do you as a body of Christ, so no, I'm not going there. It's not about my way, but it's about the way. And my rallying point isn't about what I want, but it's God, what do you want and how do I, how do I be an influence for Christ? May our personal, personal preference never, may it never outdo our great mission. May we always be focused on others coming to know Jesus. I, um, I don't know about you, but the reason this is so important and what Jesus prayed for is the fact there is a heaven and there is a hell is according to what the scripture has to say. See, the reason that unity was important is Jesus knew it would be a factor in the people that we hung out with on a daily basis. He knew that. And our our being distracted could take us away from, from reaching the people that we've been called to reach. And this is what I know is that one day, every one of us that are in this room are going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account for our lives. And I wonder how many of our family and friends and neighbors and coworkers have been impacted 
by our lives. Some for the good, and maybe some for the not so good. That's the reality. That's the reality. And here's Jesus praying for unity because he knew it would be the greatest threat, not only for the disciples, but for those of us in the future. As a, as a church, how do we stay focused on our mission of growing, sharing, and serving? You know, we're just about done with the summer, and there's, we're fixing to start talking about missional communities, and, and there's going to be opportunities that will open up all over the area for you to join a group, or if you're not, uh, not in a group, maybe to lead a group, you may want to lead a group or open up your home, and Brian's going to be talking about that more starting next, next week. But how, how, how maybe do I in, get involved in a, in, a, in, a, in a smaller learning group where not only do I have in, accountability, but also have encouragement in my spiritual growth? I mean, how can I be involved in that? Because spiritual growth is important. Showing up on Sunday just ain't enough. It's just not enough. But sharing life together, I love it when I see heritage people scattered all over the place. I love to go to, to this school or that school or be serving over here or that place of business and see you guys scattered and God at work. I love to see you hanging out and having supper at night someplace. Or I love to read and I see where this group of people is gathered together or this people, group of people is gathered together. I love to see it when you're inviting other people from outside your group into your group to encourage them because that sharing life is so important and it was a huge part of the early church. But I also love it when we use our gifts and talents to serve. You know, over the past couple of weeks, these are some things that have happened here outside of Sunday morning. That there have been people that prepared um, and helped were a part of feeding all the teachers in Wildwood for Blessed Wildwood. Some of you made dessert. Some of you came and served. And what a great blessing it was. That last Friday, Bob and Louise got together and they fed all the new teachers at Fruitland Park Elementary School. That this past Friday, that there was a group the beginnings of what will be Blessed Fruitland Park that gathered together with Life Church and with, uh, with Eagles Nest Church and with us and some others that came together and Sandy Jones and Dottie and Wanda and a bunch of them got together to come and to help and to serve the teachers that were there. I love that. What a great testimony. That's us. Or we can just come to church on Sunday mornings and leave and be no different. But Jesus knew the threat. He knew the opportunity for disunity. He knew the opportunity for there to be chaos amongst the church. And he prayed for us and he said, Father, be with them. Father, be with them that they may be unified so that the world might know who I am. That's our challenge. How do we keep the main thing the main thing? Because it's not just about doing church, but how can we be the church. And that was Jesus' prayer. So let me ask you this question. Is there, is there something in you that says, you need to go deal with this? You need to go talk to somebody because there's an underlying tension. Is that there? If so, my encouragement to you to be would be, is that something that you need to deal with or is that something you need to go, for, go before the Lord and begin to acknowledge it, pray for them and bless them? Is there something that you need to do, you know there's a tension, and it's not been about Jesus, but it's been about really I'm not getting what I want. Is there something that you need to deal with it? Today my challenge is that you'll deal with it. 
If it deals with somebody that maybe even before this day is done, you might call them or say, or go to them and say, can I sit down and talk with you? I want to be focused on Jesus because I want him to be my rallying point. But maybe there are some of you here today that don't know him. You don't understand what it's like to know and to walk with Jesus. Today you may be here and have never made that decision. I wish I could tell you that coming to church is enough to be saved, but the Bible says that not every man that crieth, Lord, Lord, will enter the gates of heaven, but only he that does the will of my Father. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, the first step is to acknowledge that you're a sinner. Yeah, I need you. Just like the tax collector said, I'm a sinner, I need you. Knowledge is sin. The second thing is to believe that Jesus died. When Jesus died, it wasn't because of his unfaithfulness, and he didn't die because of his rebellion towards Rome, but Jesus died because of our rebellion towards God. And Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins, that he would become the Lamb of God, and his blood would wash away our sins once and for all. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves, Christina. Sometimes we get in that pattern. We want to work harder so that God will love us more. But he loves us, period. And the third thing is to say, I acknowledge my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. But I want to commit to following. If that's you here today and you're here and you're saying, I want to follow Jesus, I pray that after this service you would come to me and say, can I sit down and talk to you about that? But as we sort of get into the starting of the new year, and we really don't start the new year until after Labor Day, right? That's when we really get serious. So those of us that are parents are still thinking about, we got a couple of more weeks. But as we're in this process of starting new, my question is, will you deal with the threats in reference to unity? And will you think about really what is your rallying point? Because as the people of heritage, I don't ever want you to think that that I'm your rallying point, or Brian's your rallying point, or Randy Jones is your rallying point, or Tom Fentress is your rallying point, or a program is your rallying point, or this building is your rallying point. But our rallying point is Jesus Christ and him alone. And when he prayed, he prayed for us. And the greatest threat, our unity. The question is, how will we deal with that? Will you pray with me today? Father, thank you for our time that we can come to you. Thank you for the opportunity to, to go back to your word and to read and to listen and to hear and to come to understand that, Lord, the greatest threat that we have in our lives is not, is not, um, it's not, it's not anything else but me, me and my selfishness. But you call us to a life of selflessness. I pray, Father, for those that may be struggling or dealing with an issue involving another person or maybe it's something that they're not getting that they think that they should be getting. Help us to deal with that, and, and Father, in, in such a way that we bring glory to you. For those that may be here and don't know Christ, even at this time, I pray, God, that they would cry out to you and say, Lord, would you forgive me? I pray that we would be a church of faithful people. And Lord, that we would be part of a, of a, of a growing um, group of people within this area that are desiring to be unified and walking together in Christ's likeness. I pray today for our brothers and our other churches that are here that are, that are preaching Jesus. I pray for those that are, 
Father, that are going to churches that are dealing with bitterness and anger from years of, of abuse or situations that they've never handled. I go back to that song that we sang and the words on that, on that uh, screen that we saw earlier, perfect submission, all is at rest. Father, because we're rallying around you, would you bring us rest today? And again, for our families that are struggling with so many things, may we be very sensitive to those around us to be encouragers. Encouragers. Now I send us out today to be ambassadors for Christ. To recognize that we do have an opportunity to have an impact in the world in which we live. So may we do that. May we do that boldly and with courage. Not afraid. Not afraid. May we be concerned about the people that we walk with. Those within our homes. Those within the workplace. Those within our neighborhoods. May we be a light for you. That's what I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.